Hey, it's Karina. So before we begin this episode, I just wanted to apologize in advance. The audio quality is not 100% because there's a bit of an echo in Kat's audio. So I recommend probably listening to this with headphones if you can. Um, I have not tested it myself in a car because it's not released yet. So let me know how it sounds in your car. But um, yeah, please bear with me. It's a really great episode. We get into mental health, um, gestational diabetes, you know, all of the things that Kat experienced during her two pregnancies and now a third that she's currently pregnant with. So please listen, um, stick to the end and let me know what you think. As always, thanks. Welcome to Birth and Stuff. Today I have a special guest. She is someone who is a prima of mine through marriage. <laughs> she is my husband's cousin on um, his mother's side. And I am very excited to talk to her because she's actually the first person I'm talking to who is currently pregnant while being a guest on the podcast. So please help me welcome. Kat Alvarez. Yay. Aw, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, welcome. Um, please tell us about yourself and, you know, your family and all that stuff. Yeah, so um, I'm 31. I'm married. I have two kids. I have uh, Maxwell, who's six, and I have Sienna, who is 19 months. So she'll be two in May. And I'm 20, almost 25 weeks pregnant with my third. Um, so yeah, I mean, aside from that, I'm a working mom. I work in marketing. My husband also works. So we, we're in a work from home pandemic household right now. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, so are you both working from home and Max is also learning from home, right? No, he's actually in class. So oh, his really? school, particularly, yeah, they, I mean, thankfully in a way, you know, he's in school. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, it is really, it's a risk to, you know, having him go into class. So, but yeah. for us, you know, we're working all day. So we only have little Sienna, who is a lot in <laughs> In herself, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They demand so much attention. (laughs) Oh, yeah, definitely. And she is one of those kids. So it's it's fun, though. I mean, it's nice. We're just grateful. We have jobs still, and we're able to work from home. And before that, both of us were going into the office every day. So, yeah, Yeah. it was definitely a struggle. (sighs) So how is it being pregnant and working from home? Honestly, it's making it go by so much faster. Really? Yes. Like sometimes I forget and I'll get like a notification like, hey, you're 24 weeks pregnant. I'm like, I'm six months pregnant at this point. But I'm so busy because I I just started a new job too. Yeah. Two months ago. So now I'm learning everything. I'm in trainings. I'm on meeting after meeting that I feel like the days are just going by so fast. Whereas my other pregnancies, you know, I, every little thing, you know, every bump picture, every single week, you know, I'm counting down, like this time is just flying. And I mean, I've heard that from other moms too, their third just flew by, 
but yeah, I just can't believe it. I'm already six months pregnant. I really can't. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh my God. I would think because you're home every day and it's like the same thing, like it's just gets so like, it would drag on. That's how I'm expecting yeah. I'm going to feel, but who knows? I might be, you know, just as busy and working and all of that, that I'm going to be the same way. Who knows? <laughs> but that's, yeah, you never know. Well, it's just kind of like, I have a toddler too. So I didn't experience that with my first. They're almost five years apart. So he was a lot more independent by the time I had, I was pregnant. And this time I'm still chasing around a toddler. So yeah, I'm busy with work. I'm chasing a toddler and the days are just going by so fast. And I felt like in my second pregnancy, I was a little bit more lazy. I mean, not to say lazy, but I wasn't walking around all day. Like I wasn't closing my Apple Watch rings. <laughs> I mean, like <laughs> not even close. Yeah. I was taking naps, you know, like now I just really don't have time for any of that. And so I guess I'm a little bit more active this time around, which is helping. But yeah, yeah it's definitely different. <laughs> that was one of the first things that I told Mario when we saw your pregnancy announcement. I was like, but she's been doing the Peloton. <laughs> and I was like, I know people work out and like are pregnant. But I, I, to me, it was like, oh, my God, like she's been kicking ass doing this. And then she's also been pregnant. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah, like I never worked out in any of my previous pregnancies, either one. So I got pregnant like three months after I got it. And so I was already kind of in it, you know, I was into yeah. it. I was working out every day. So I'm like, am I even allowed to do this? And I asked my doctor and she's like a Peloton weirdo like me. And she's uh, like, yeah, definitely. So yeah. <laughs> I got her okay. Nice. That's funny. Yeah. I remember when I was first pregnant with them, Yen, um, through work, we were going to the gym that was next door. I forget what it was called, but it's like one of those fancy uh, Equinox or Equinox, oh, whatever it's called. Yeah. <laughs> but like we had like a deal with them so we could go do classes for the spin classes um, like once a month. And so I started doing those. I think we started them like in January. So I did the January class. I did the February class. And then in March, late March, I did that class. And then I found out I was pregnant. And then I was like, Oh, my God, I don't think I should go anymore. But I didn't know I was just looking for an excuse. <laughs> but I, I liked it when I was doing it. But at the same time, I was like, Oh, my gosh, like, should I be doing like this? You know, especially for me at that time, I was starting to feel sick and losing weight. And I was like, I don't know if I should be working out on top of that, you know, like I'm already losing yeah. weight as it is. Like I was kind of nervous. So I just used yeah, it. Yeah. I, I took a it. break too. Like right when I started feeling nauseous and stuff, I think I took like a almost two month break because at that point you don't really have the energy either. You yeah. know, I, I had never felt morning sickness in my other two pregnancies besides this one. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be that mom that works out every day. You know? Yeah. And nine, nine weeks rolls around. And yeah. So tell <laughs> I me didn't more take about... a look at my bike at all. No. <laughs> tell me more about your morning sickness. And like, so your first two pregnancies where they just, you were just pregnant and glowing and like a breeze besides the gestational diabetes or the um, low platelet counts. Yeah. Yeah. So Matt. I was 24 when I got pregnant with Max. Um, so spring chicken still, uh, <laughs> never been pregnant. So I felt like I could still take on the world, I guess. Yeah. And just 
I wasn't gaining as much weight, I guess you could say, because it's probably my age. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, with him, I had no morning sickness. It was a perfect pregnancy. I didn't gain so much weight. I was like, you know, still really active. I was traveling a lot with my friends. Just, yeah. With Sienna, I, it was a little bit different. Like I was 29. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was 29. And so with her, yeah, I didn't really have a lot of energy at all. But still no morning sickness. It was weird. I just tired, exhaustion, like normal. And yeah. I think that like contributed to, it was just like a combination of things, you know, not really active. I wasn't working out as much at that time. I wasn't eating well at that time. And so the combination of the two, I think, contributed to having gestational diabetes at the end of the day, which was not fun. Yeah. When, um, in your pregnancy, did you, I guess, is it, it's part of that test that you have to drink that drink, right? Yes, exactly. So what, at what point did that test come back and say that you had it or was it blood work? Like, how did that go? Yeah. So basically you'd have that one hour test, right? Every pregnant person has it when they're 24 weeks pregnant. I had it with my son and I failed that one too. And then when you fail it, they make you do a three hour test where they check your blood every hour, right? So they'll do it before they start testing you. And then every hour they'll take blood and see, you know, basically like measure your glucose levels and they have benchmarks pretty much, I guess you could say. And if you don't hit them or if you're over what they you know, I think it's like 140 or something like that. And if you're over that, then they kind of like red flag you. So first hour, okay, you're red flagged. If you fail the second hour, then you're diabetic pretty much, at least in Uh my case. So with Max, I failed the first hour, but not the second. So I wasn't considered diabetic. Um, With Sienna, I, (laughs) I failed it. Yeah, I failed both of them. So then that I was freaking out when they told me I was I failed it. I'm diabetic. Um, I lost it. Like I was in the uh, the room with the doctor and she was breaking it down. And I was like bursting in tears. It's, it, I almost felt like guilty. Like, okay, I didn't eat right. I wasn't even walking every day. Yeah. So almost like major mom guilt for not doing those things to keep my baby healthy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. When in reality, it's it's a combination of things. It's not just that. It's your genetics play a big role in it. Right. So my dad is diabetic. My mom's always been borderline diabetic. On both sides, I have diabetes. So it's not really a surprise. Um, Latinas, African-Americans, we're already predisposed to diabetes. So, you know, a lot of us have it. Um, And I think it's just like a combination of things too. Gestational diabetes is usually an indicator, they say, that you might develop diabetes type 2 later on in life. So it's Mm -hmm. it's all these things that are coming in when they announce and tell you that you have it. Yeah. (sighs) That's so frustrating too because it's so easy during the pregnancy to blame every little thing on yourself. And so then when you get news like that, you're like, 
like I failed. I did wrong. I like just exactly like you were explaining, you know, I should have done this. I should have done that. I should have. And like you said, it could be, it could be genetics. It could be a culmination of things. And I was doing some research before we got on this too. And I was looking at that as well. And I was just like, it sucks. Like it says, you know, some of the things that could happen if you have GD is you have a bigger baby or you Mm -hmm. have to have a C-section because you have a bigger baby, you know, like different things that it's kind of just a domino effect. It's not just like you have GD and that's it. Now we got to like monitor you and all this stuff. It's like you have GD and now this, this, and this, and we got to look out for this. And so how was that part of it for you? Yeah, of course. So when they told me, of course, I like Googled it. And I'm learning, I get all these pamphlets from my doctor, I'm learning about it. And I'm just like, freaking out. Yeah. I'm like, you Naturally. know, my baby's gonna be bigger. My son was eight pounds, four ounces. So he was already pretty big. So I'm just like, Oh, my gosh, what did I do? What am I doing? You know? Yeah. And not only that is, once they diagnose you with gestational diabetes, at least in my case and in my, uh, at the hospital I was delivering at and the medical group, uh, St. Joseph, they take you um, or they refer you to a specialist. So you have to go to like a maternal fetal center. You have to meet with nutritionists. You have to go there at least like once a week or every two weeks. And mm-hmm. um, basically you, check your blood sugar every few hours after you eat pretty much and when you wake up and you log in and you have to go over those numbers with the consult like diabetic specialist and Uh um, so you're held accountable to your numbers to make sure you're not eating um you know you're not having a cheeseburger every single meal pretty much you know and so i really learned a lot actually at the end of the day about the nutrition part of it, which to me, I mean, like, I, I don't know about you, but I didn't grow up. Not that I didn't eat nutritious food, but it wasn't like a priority. Like, I, I mean, from when I was a kid, I grew up with like Cheetos in my lunch and Kool-Aid and, you know, Gushers or whatever. No right. one ever really taught me like the value of being nutritious. Right. Then you grow up as an adult and you want that food, you know, I don't even know that I have so much sugar in my coffee or I don't even know that if I eat a whole bagel, it's like 60 grams of carbs. Like, I don't know. I just, I just do it. Yeah. So you sit down with a nutritionist, they go over like, okay, you know, the goal is to have like 11 grams of carbs per meal. And it just seems so daunting. But yeah. on one side, you're just like, okay, I guess I have to do it. I have no choice. Otherwise, yeah. the repercussions are you're going to have a big baby. You're going to have uh, all these complications. You could go into early labor. Like, it kind of just puts you in check, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I had a thought and I lost it. What were some of the things that you ended up, I mean – eating after you planned with your nutritionist did you see a drastic change in what you were eating before and then what you were eating after for sure 100 percent. like 100 <laughs> when I tell you when I was 24 nothing really affected me okay I was going to I was having clucks and fries at Red Robin I was having french fries I had the yogurt land every day now you know I'm a little bit older so yeah I gained so much weight so much so fast with Sienna. Like right away I was gaining a lot of weight. 
which I didn't even really care. I'm like, okay, well, I'm pregnant. Different right. this time. Number two, who cares? I didn't really think about the health repercussions that would have. So when I had, you know, when they told me I had GD, it put me in check. And then, you know, I took it very seriously. As my personality is once I'm held accountable, once I have to write down those numbers and I see it, then that puts me in check. And I'm like, okay, yeah. I need to do this for my baby, for myself. Like, I'm going to do everything I can to follow this, you know, regimen that they want me to do. Yeah. So they literally bring out fake food and they teach you how to eat. Like, they're like, <laughs> if you want a tortilla, like, this is how big it needs to be. And you should probably pair it with a protein. You should probably pair it with veggies. And they teach you literally how to eat. That's so, good, though. Yeah, it was good. So I started yeah. kind of just thinking about things. Like, I like to have a bagel. And we had bagels at work that they would bring in. And so it was easy to just carve up every morning. So I found, like, skinny bagels that if I have with avocado, which they recommend, and, like, a hard-boiled egg, that satisfies everything they want you to eat, right? Yeah. Um, just things like that, uh, you know, figuring out a salad that I really like with a dressing that isn't even sugary. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, pretty much stuff like that. And so you eat and then an hour later you prick your finger and then the, the reader will tell you your number. So a lot of doctors will say, you know, after you eat, you can go for a short walk and that helps. It really does help a lot with your numbers so if I had like a bigger dinner at night then I would go and make sure I could walk right after and then I could prick my finger and it usually was perfectly fine Mm -hmm. so yeah I mean from there it was fine everything worked out great my numbers were great it really was just diet and exercise for me personally Um, that's not the case for a lot of other women but for me it was Um, and I didn't gain any weight after that really nope it like kept you in check basically. <laughs> yeah. I think I just gained a lot from not caring. And then once they put me in check, it's like, okay, it just all mellowed out, you know? Yeah. Well, and now you're at 25 weeks almost you said, and no GD this time around. So once you have GD, they test you at like 11 weeks in your next pregnancy, which I had no okay. idea. Okay. And I, I passed that. So good. Again, I think because this time Peloton, I'm like, okay, a 30 minute walk isn't too bad. I can do right. that. You know, that's yeah. cool. Um, so I didn't have it. But next Monday, I have my appointment for the one hour. So it'll cross <gasps> Oh, yes. <laughs> good luck. Oh, I hope it's all good. And it sounds like you're definitely doing, you know, a lot more based on what you learned from your last pregnancy. So I'm why trying. would you know? I'm yeah. still hard. <laughs> The working out part is not hard. I, I like it. I mean, mentally, I need it. So yeah, I've, especially with the pandemic, I think it's been motivating me not to think about it as working out. You know, it's more like, okay, this makes me feel better. This makes me feel like I can take on more. Um, the it's kids a little like escape. Being outside. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like mental health. That I need those 30 minutes for myself. Yeah. So. I don't really think of it as that anymore, but the food part is still hard. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Um, 
so besides your GD, how else were your pregnancies? Um, and including this third one, I mean, <laughs> anything significant to know? No, actually, this one has been pretty chill. Besides the uh, morning sickness that I, I never experienced my other two. But this one's been really chill. Um, like I said, I think just exercising and moving my legs has been really helpful because I have more energy. Yeah. Um, I can't say how it's going to be when I have three kids. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I don't even, I laugh because I, I already know I'm in for it, but um, <laughs> yeah, it, the pregnancy has been fine. I, I mean, I'm curious to see if I, I have GD or not, um, but my outlook's a lot different. It's not so daunting. I know what I'm in for if I do have it, and I know that it's not the end of the world. Um, like you said, it could be genetic. A lot of right. it could just be genetic, and it, that's not my fault. So right. I know that going in now, you know. Yeah. And that's good. Sorry to interrupt you, but that's good for me to even keep in mind because like you said, I have diabetes on both my sides of my family too. And it's like my maternal side, it's like every single one of them has it. And I'm just, I'm always so concerned that I have it because, you know, my mom has it. My little sister has it. Like everyone has it. And so every time I go to the doctor, I'm like, can we just check again? And they're like, they check and I'm good. So I'm just like, I know that it's like looming and I have to do things to like keep it away from me basically, (laughs) you know, but, uh, going into being pregnant too, that was a concern of mine. So now going into trying to get pregnant, it's like, okay, well, if I do get it, I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to beat myself up about it too much because I'm kind of prepared that that might be a reality, you know? And that's good that you're aware of that already. So if it does happen, you know, it's not going to be the end of the world. But you already kind of know, too, there's little things that you can do to help. It might not be the make or break, but taking your I see your you love to walk. I see you on your walks and stuff. So like just even little things like that help so much. Um, And, you know, that could be a deal breaker, too. So it's just kind of being educated about it because for me, I was not, I had no idea. I really didn't. Yeah. I, had, I had no clue. And my parents dealt with it and I still had no clue. Um, so it did hit me like a ton of bricks, but it's really not that bad. It's not. Yeah. And so can you tell me a little bit about the low platelet count? What was that about or when did that come into play? Yeah. So that was with my, my son, Max. I had no idea what, look, like I need to be more educated health-wise, honestly. I I had no idea what that meant. So when I started progressing in my third trimester, they were like, well, your platelet count is low, your blood platelet count. And they're like, it has to be a certain amount or else um, you're more susceptible to blood clots. And therefore, they will not give you an epidural during your pregnancy. So you basically have two choices. If your blood count gets too low, you can have a natural birth, which is what I was planning for. Um, And actually, the second option is a C-section, but they don't even like to do that because you have to be completely put under general anesthesia. You can't can't have an epidural like most, uh, you know, C-sections have. 
Right. So that wasn't an option. Number two, I didn't want a C-section period and I didn't want to be put under general anesthesia because I'm not going to even see my baby. Like I'll be under, completely under. I will meet the baby right away. Um, my husband's not going to be in the room. That's just not the birth experience that I pictured in my head, you know, yeah. which everybody knows it never happens how you picture it in your head <laughs> ever. Yeah. Like yeah. I had it typed out. If you know, you ask me if I want to have a girl, I'm, I'm going to say no, like it's ridiculous. I don't. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> sure enough, you know, as it progressed and took my blood count that morning when I, um, mind you, I was like almost 41 weeks pregnant when I went into labor right. with my son. So my platelet count was very low and that was just not an option for me to have an epidural. So I geared up. I'm like, all right, I'm going into natural labor. You know, my Thea Evelyn, she had a natural birth. My Nina, Diana, um, she had three natural births. So I'm like, heck yeah, I could do this. Like, I'm watching YouTube videos, yoga, like everything. My mindset was, um, it's going to be natural. So, um, yeah, I went into labor and labored for about 27 hours. It didn't progress at all, like not even past two centimeters dilated. Um, And it just kept plummeting my blood count, my blood platelet count. And so by the end, they're like, okay, you're going to need a blood transfusion to keep going or we can give you a c-section so i just chose c-section at that point i'm like i need to see this baby <laughs> i yeah. can't do this anymore um so yeah that's my birthing experience i in a hazy way i saw my son for the first time my husband was not in the room he didn't come out breathing correctly so they sent him to NICU um for i think 12 hours or so it wasn't mm-hmm. too bad, but still, like, it was a mess. Yeah. You know how long it was between when um, your son was born until you got to see him? I saw him right away, which I remember. Um, okay. But again, it took me about eight hours to get out of that general anesthesia haze. Yeah. Where I didn't know what was going on. Um, my husband had picked up my mom from the airport at that point. So Oh, side note, I wasn't living here. So me and my husband were in Connecticut. Yeah. So we had nobody. No one. Yeah. Um, And my mom, when she found out I was in labor, flew out there. So thank God, you know, when I woke up and came to, I had my mom. Um, I was coming out of surgery for the C-section. Yeah. And I was coming out of this haze. And uh, yeah, they're like, your son is on a different floor. He's in the NICU um, and they wheelchaired me down there. So it was about like maybe eight hours or so before I even got to see him again. So I think we have a similar experience in that, in that, you know, the C-section, the general anesthesia, um, the haze. Because I feel like when I talk to women uh, for the podcast that they're recounting their stories and they remember every little detail of everything and the times and everything. And I'm like... How do you remember all that? Like, especially for me, it was a haze because it was daylight saving time. So time was not a thing as it was because it was one o'clock, like so many times to me, you know, so so we were already like, I just know that I labored, like the whole thing was less than 12 hours, basically all that I know. We went in late Sunday night 
or Saturday night. And I had Damian by like seven in the morning via C-section or seven or eight in the morning via Was C-section. Was it planned? Sorry to interrupt. No, no, you're afraid. Um, no. I So it was at 37 weeks. I started uh, back laboring and I I was like, oh, I'm probably okay. Like probably just Braxton Hicks or something. Like I didn't know. And I, of course, like sure. I would Google and, you know, like pain in lower back. Like, you know how you do? Like I'm trying to get a very specific answer here. Um, but yeah, the whole thing was just like a haze. I was completely under Mario was not in the room. We both didn't get to really see Damian until like a couple hours later. And I was, I, I just remember I was in a very good mood when I came out of my C-section and everyone was super surprised. Like her, like she just had a crazy traumatic experience. Like her child is nowhere to be seen and she's like happy. And I was just like, you don't, know, like you don't know what you don't know. Like exactly. that's what I mean. You don't know you're, you're not supposed to be with your baby. Like, when my mom got there, she's like, where's the baby? Where's the baby? You need to go with the baby. And I'm like, I don't know. This is where they put me. You know, I had yeah. no idea. So I'm sure you can relate in that sense. <laughs> yes. It's very much the, the thing of just like, well, the doctors obviously are doctors because they know what they're doing. Like, I am not one to be like, oh, my baby should be here next to me. You're laying on my 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 shoulder what what is this called my chest um yeah so I wasn't gonna fight anyone on it you know I was just like if they say like finally when the doctor came and told us like your baby had some seizures and blah 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 like all that stuff I was like okay so this is more intense than I even thought but like when do we get to see him and yeah it was not until late that night that we really got to go and see him in the NICU and even then like we couldn't touch him we couldn't hold him we couldn't do any of that stuff so it was literally just looking at him in the isolate and being like okay there he is like and yeah seeing him and I don't know how Max was when um he was in NICU but with Amyan especially because he was three weeks early or you know 37 weeks um when he was born uh he was very small and very weak and very um he was under like morphine, like he was completely out. So he just didn't see, it was very easy to switch from that happy, positive attitude until I saw him and saw what condition he was in. And then I was like, okay, this is way more serious than I thought. You know what I mean? Like it it really, all those questions of like, is my baby going to be okay? Am I going to have a baby at the end of this? You know, like all of those started to go into my head and then it started to become a lot more scary. That's when I think the haze started kind of wearing off from all of the drugs from the surgery and stuff. So I I think you're the first person that I've talked to that has mentioned that. So I'm just like, we kind of have that similar experience in that, you know, we, we weren't, active participants in our labor right do you feel that way too with max for sure 100 percent. like you know before i had sienna it was kind of like like it hurt a little bit you know like i felt like i didn't get that entire experience that most women get you know like not only did i not satisfy my dream of having a natural birth like i didn't even have a c-section where i was actively participating my husband was not there like you know what I mean so when I talk to moms like every once in a while I'll talk to mom that's been through a similar experience where I'm like okay you get it you know it 
it's a whole process that you had to go through and it wasn't ideal, but I mean, it, was it's just, it is what it is. And I think like, like you said, um, when I did come to, and I went down there and I saw him for, so for him, it was very similar. He was also under general anesthesia. So he wasn't even crying when he came out, like most babies, he was still yeah. under. So we went to go see him and he has all these, you know, little wires hooked up and stuff like that. And it's just like unreal to see your baby like that. And you're just yeah. now it's all coming to, like, oh my gosh, you know, I mean, it wasn't um, as serious, I think, as, as your situation. Like he wasn't there for that long, thankfully, because I don't know how I could have handled that. That's very traumatic, I think, what you went through. Because how long was he in there for a while, right? He was um, in there from the 4th through, I think it was the 12th or the 13th that we came home. So almost okay. two weeks. Yeah. yeah. And those are long days, especially you're recovering from a C-section too. Yeah. 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 So for about a week, we stayed in the hospital with me recovering. They, they kept saying, you can go whenever you want. And I was like my son is here. Like I'm not going anywhere, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I'm going to be right down the hall from him as long as you'll have me. And then when you kick me out, then I guess I'll travel and come see him. Cause not only was he in the NICU, but like we had our birth was in the Anaheim Kaiser and then yeah. we, we got transferred to the Downey Kaiser. So it's like even more for us to travel after I have just had surgery, you know, like I was like, I don't want to be in a car traveling every day to go see my son. And like, I'm still trying to heal too. So for sure. Um, so I wanted to ask you after those, was he only in the NICU for that day? And then they brought you to, or brought him to your room? Yes. Yes. So he was only in the NICU for those 12 hours. And then eventually they brought him to my room um, where I stayed, I think I stayed like four days total because it just happened to be like on a weekend or something. So they yeah. let me stay an extra day, which in my mind, I'm like, so you guys kick people out after a day? What, how are we supposed to know what to do? You know, yep. in that sense, I was happy I got a C-section because they stayed with me for a little while and, yeah. you know, taught me how to do a lot of things. Like I met with the lactation consultant a few times, like, why not? I'm here. So, yeah. 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 I did the same thing. I was definitely a blessing in disguise, I think. <laughs> when Max was in the NICU, he was only there to like be monitored for his oxygen levels and stuff. Exactly. So they were mon because he wasn't breathing correctly when he came out. Right. Um, because of probably general anesthesia, they just were monitoring his breathing that entire time. Yeah. yeah. And it was interesting because, like I said, he was pretty big. He was eight pounds, four ounces. I guess that's kind of big. And all the little babies in there were tiny. So he's huge yep. taking up like this whole space and then all the other babies that we saw and you could see all the nurses holding and rocking. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're tiny. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I remember even in our situation, like the man was five pounds, five ounces, but he was big compared to a lot of those babies. And you're right. just like, he's not even like, like where he should have been when he was born, you know? And, and these babies were born like months early or weeks early or whatever. And ugh, it's so hard to, I'm like getting chills just thinking about it again because you're, I, and I don't know what the NICU was like over there, but in ours, it was like an open room. So you could see all the other parents and mm -hmm. all the other babies. And so like part of that is just an emotional toll on you as well, because it's not only 
what you're going through, but you're seeing what other families are going through and that their their tears and their frustration and their their exhaustion, you know, all of that. You're also taking that in and you're you're not even I mean, for me, like I didn't even realize like how much their stories were affecting me at the time and I didn't even know them you know mm-hmm. exactly it, it was the same sense like we it was completely open I think what I remember the most that like touched me was the nurses that were rocking these babies that didn't have their parents there yeah um, and they're rocking them to sleep and I'm like it's just like a vivid memory in my mind like you said it gives me chills thinking about that again because there are these like selfless Nikki nurses, which I think they're meant to be for that position, you know, and yeah. they're selflessly like caring for this baby in a super crucial moment in their life, you know, like we always hear about skin to skin and, you know, breastfeeding and this and that and making that connection. And like these nurses are, are doing that for some parents because these babies are probably there for quite a while maybe you know yeah so that was like really touching to me (laughs) seeing that so after that labor or that birth how was your birth with Sienna did you tell me a little bit more about going into labor or how did how did hers work again so she was a c-section but she was a planned c-section and my my doctor so this I had our you know moved back here um so we're living here in in orange now and um my new doctor she's like well you can try to have a v-back you know vaginal birth after cesarean right um she's like you could totally try i cannot guarantee you the same thing isn't going to happen so she's like you whatever you want to do but if your platelets are low again, it's going to be the exact same situation. So she's like, why don't we just put the um, appointment on the calendar? And then as we get closer, you could decide what you want to do. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of like, I like the idea that I could pick the day. I like the idea that I was mentally prepared for what was going to happen. I know, you know, the recovery is crazy. Um, yeah. So at least I know what to prepare for this time. Right. Well, the interesting part about it is that she, so in Connecticut, they never had me do extra specialist blood work. They never sent me to hematologists. They never really dove into the problem of why I had this platelet level issue. They just remedied it, I guess, with they give you steroids and like hope for the best, right? Yeah. And so my doctor was like, well, I don't want to even go to that steroids point yet. Like, let's send you to a specialist and figure out why you're having this issue. You know, I go to one appointment with a specialist and they're like, oh, you're low on B12. So I could have been taking a B12. Literally just something you could have bought at like Target and been taking it. Yep. Wow. So once I got on the B12, my platelet count came up. Um, Everything was smooth sailing with Sienna. And I had the epidural during a C-section, so I was completely awake and I was involved and it was perfect. It was great. Like, I loved it. I loved it. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Because as, you know, someone who's trying to go into getting pregnant for the second time after having a C-section, being under general anesthesia, a lot of that is my anxiety of like, obviously, I don't know what's going to happen. And obviously, I'm not trying to plan for any kind of way because like we said, 
that doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, it's going to yeah. happen how it happens. But how was that experience for you to have, you know, to be present during the C-section and to be able to see her and all of that? How was that for you? It was awesome. I, honestly, I was really scared because the last time I had already labored for 27 hours, like I said, so I was like in a right. phase of pain, of exhaustion. Both me and my husband had been up for over a day. Um, I was in an insane amount of pain with Max and that I'll never forget. Like, I felt like I, I literally said over and over, I'm dying. I am dying. Um, so this time, I think because I didn't have that to mask anything, I was feeling every bit of nerve that you could going yeah. into it. So everything, because there's like a whole process when you schedule a C-section that they make you go early, you have to sign papers, you have to do, you know, all this procedural stuff before you even have it. So there's like about three hours of that. So the entire time I'm like freaking out, like, what is this going to be like? Yeah. Um, and then they will you into the OR and they give you an epidural on your back and instantly your legs are completely numb, which was cool. I was like, okay, this is, now I get why people get epidurals. You know, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Push your baby out with no problem. This is great. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and then they kind of put you under, which, well, not under. So they give you the epidural and there's some side effects there. So for me personally, I got very nauseous. I started like dry heaving. So sometimes they give you like, I don't know what it's called, but it's to help you not feel nauseous anymore. And so there's going to be a little bit graphic, I guess. So when they start taking the baby out, you feel, you can't feel any pain but you feel pressure so you feel that whole baby coming out of your stomach and you feel like there's nothing in there anymore but there's no oh. pain or anything it's just the sensation of it yeah oh my that God, part so was weird okay yeah that was like the weirdest thing and then you start hearing a baby cry but you cannot feel anything so trust me there's no pain and um yeah once i heard the baby cry like then stream of tears so i was awake and feeling every moment every emotion like it was awesome it was really awesome so and Stephen was there too yeah Stephen was there so he's like checking her out he brought her over to me put her on my chest like it was it was a cool experience for sure that is so cool it gives me hope oh that is so crazy though to feel like I guess it's kind of even like a weight being lifted from you, you know, and this baby is now its own, like it was a part of you and now it's its own thing. It's crazy. Right. Cause like we didn't experience that with the first really, you didn't experience that like you're giving birth and like you're leading life, you know, it was all kind of a haze and you're put under. And this time I really felt like I saw the whole process and I could see why that is such an emotional experience. And it was really cool. So I hope that, you know, I'm praying for you. I hope that everything goes smoothly the second time around. I think, you know, hopefully they can address issues beforehand. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was thankful this time I was able to address certain things beforehand and, and like figure out the platelet problem. Like that was a big thing in itself. Like I could have hugged my doctor. Like she just made everything awesome. Yeah. That makes a big difference too. Somebody that's going to like champion for you and really have your best interest. Yeah. Definitely. With uh, Sienna, so after she came out and everything, 
she was good. She didn't have any complications or anything like that, huh? No. <laughs> How long were you in the hospital for? Um, just for two or three days, I guess. Okay. Yeah. It, I think it was like two or three days. And then we came home right after. It was pretty seamless. And how was recovering from the second C-section? That was fine. I think um, my husband and I were really prepared for it. So like our home was prepared. I had like an area. We had uh, diapers and wipes and, you know, we had stairs at the time. So in one room and the other room, um, what I wasn't prepared for was the postpartum part of having two kids mentally. The physical part was actually easy this time. It was Mm -hmm. the mental part of having a five-year-old that has had my undivided attention. Um, yeah. And then now welcoming another baby that I don't think any of us were really prepared for having two months. I don't, nobody is. You don't know how you're going to react to that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. But my son too, that was really hard on him at first. Yeah. So I know you wrote on your, um, your questionnaire that you had postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety? Yes, I had both. Um, It was more, I would say, an anxiety. uh, But like the way I react to situations, even prior to, is by crying. I'm just a crier. So when I get anxious, I cry. When I get angry, I cry. Cry. Because of the crying, and when I would tell my my doctors like what was going on how anxious I was every minute of the day I would cry and so they're like okay well you have both because crying this much isn't normal either so um yeah they diagnosed me with postpartum depression and anxiety probably about like four weeks after I had the baby and what was that like for you did they you know did they give you any kind of not? I don't know if it would be called treatment, but did they give you anything like do this or take this or you know any kind of tips to get through it, or was it kind of just like, hey, let us know if things get worse? Well, so I have a really unique situation. My my doctor, who I was really close with and bonded with, she was also pregnant. So at the same time, she was thirty wow. two weeks behind me. So when I went to go see the doctor for my six weeks appointment, um, I had to see a different doctor. She was on maternity leave. So the doctor they sent me to had been like, had been there forever. She was like this older lady. You could tell she was just trying to check me off for her day, you know, at least yeah. that's how I interpreted it. And that's how I felt, especially coming from somebody that would sit there and look me in the eye and like, treated me like a friend you know yeah so she's like okay well you filled out this questionnaire it looks like you have postpartum depression I'm gonna prescribe you with the law and you're on your way and I'm like that made me cry even more I'm like what do you mean I've never taken antidepressants I've never taken anything in my entire life not that there's anything wrong with it but don't you think there's a few things before that that you want right. to suggest to me instead of just go straight to the medication you know Right. Um, And I told her, I'm like, I well, I don't feel comfortable taking medication. Like, can you tell me anything else? Like, do it maybe work out more? Like anything? And she's just like, okay, well, if you don't want to take the medication, then basically, I can write you a referral. Um, Here's a phone number. Call them. It's a maternal therapist, and you can see them. 
I would think that's where you start. Me too. (laughs) Like I was because I was waiting to say I would think that like with regular therapy or anything when you like with Kaiser when I started that process of you know mental you know I want to see a therapist blah 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 what does that take okay they took me to an initial assessment we talked through my things then they said okay I'm going to refer you to the psychiatrist we're going to refer you to the therapist too but it's it was a little backed up at that time so like to get an appointment so I saw the psychiatrist first I think that same day I was able to get an appointment um and they they marked me as like a high risk case so <laughs> so I was yeah. like I'm good I promise I just have a lot of anxiety um but then she spoke to me I got to you know so it was too like through speaking things out and then she was like we're also going to give you this medication you can try it very small to start and I was like okay great and then going to therapy and like you would think that it would be oh you you're feeling these ways like let's talk about it what's making you feel that way you know like talking it out first not as an afterthought because you don't want to just go straight to medication that is so wild to me it was wild and I had never I didn't have postpartum depression or anxiety with my son so I didn't know what to do or what's right and what's wrong you know so yeah when she said that she's like all right Zoloft here you go go get it I'm like no isn't there other things you want to tell me like maybe you should take a walk like no it was just straight Zoloft so I mean, thankfully, so part of St. Joseph's, and I don't know, it's probably the same with Kaiser, is that they make you go to like a one-week appointment with a therapist, right? And they basically like, I forgot what it's called, but it's like at the maternal fetal center. And they basically like check the baby, make sure you remember how to like put their seatbelt on. Um, They ask you how you're doing. They do another like postpartum check on you. So that was the girl that I ended up seeing again uh, for therapy. Uh-huh. And she was amazing, like seriously amazing. And she was asking me questions just to get to the root of the problem of why I felt so anxious. And a lot of the yeah. time, I didn't really have an answer for it. I don't know why I feel anxious. I, I wish I could, didn't have to feel anxious. I don't know. Right. A lot of it came from my son because I felt like I was such a hands-on mom. Yeah, you know, like his grades, his progress. He was in kindergarten. He's the youngest one in the class. So I always try to make extra time to like sit and teach him and to make sure he's up to par with the class. And I couldn't with the, the new baby. So all yeah. that time I spent with him, my fear was like, he's going to revert by the time because we were in the summertime. So like, by the time he gets to kindergarten, he's going to forget everything that we've talked about. And mm-hmm. now he just wants to watch TV and play video games and stuff like that. And I'm such a bad mom. And he used to like do schoolwork and go outside. And now I'm such a bad mom because I am only focused on the baby, right? So she helped me like identify issues. Like he's on summer vacation. Like he'll, she'll tell me stuff like he can have a break too, you know, like let him have a yeah. break. Just things where I didn't even allow myself to feel or even like I didn't give myself that room, right? Um. So she was like, well, why don't you take Zoloft and it'll help you. And so this is like the second person that has told me about medication. And like, you know, I'm not sure if you identify, but like, personally, I don't have anybody in my family or that I look up to or anybody I know, probably that I know, you know, because nobody really shares that stuff. 
But in my mind, like, I don't know anybody that takes medication. So if they can get through it, I can get through it. Even if I'm suffering big time, even if I'm crying every single day, even if I'm like anxious and I can barely function, like they did it. So I need to like brace myself and buckle up and do it. So it was really good because the therapist was like, you know, I'm not telling you to take it, but I'm just telling you, like, give it a chance, you know, like take it up from the uh, pharmacist, put it in your, in your pantry and just have it there. And if you ever feel like you really cannot take it anymore, who cares? Don't tell anybody. Don't don't advertise it. Don't tell your parents. Don't tell anybody. Take the medication. So like that was a month later, I got to that point where I'm like, this is, not good for anybody it's not for my good for my husband it's not good for my kids to have this type of mom that's like freaking out every day because I have like really irrational fears I had fears that like I'd be laying in bed and my house is going to catch on fire and my kids are going to die like those are my fears or oh Oh, girl I have the same things about like driving I'm going to be in the car with them yan and I'm going to get in an accident and we're like or he's something's going to happen to him but not not to me and then I'm gonna have to live with that like no yes yes I I get it so much irrational fear and you know it wasn't even like the like me it was mostly like things out of my control like something out of my control is going to happen and then everybody's gonna die like I thought those thoughts a lot um so one I don't day, want to cry just listening to you yeah, saying this it's, it's hard like you don't even realize out of your control of where your brain goes and I was yep. very conscious of the fact that it wasn't me it was my hormones too I'm like this isn't you I would tell myself like this isn't you this isn't you it's your hormones but yep. like it didn't matter because I still still felt that like burning sensation. Mom guilt. <laughs> yeah, mom guilt, anxious, anxiety where it was like debilitating. So one day I was like, screw this, I'm taking I'm taking the off and I don't care. Whatever. I'm not telling anybody. So I did it and like a week and a half later, like everything felt accomplished. I was able to manageable manage everything. It wasn't like it put me in a daze, which in my mind, I don't know anything about medication. So I'm like, Oh, I'm going to be like a drug addict and like be addicted to pills. And I'm never going to get off. You know, I had all these stupid things in my head because I'm not educated about it at that point. Yeah. It didn't feel like that at all. It just felt like that little voice inside was taking over my rational voice. I'm like, okay, now I can prioritize. Like, yes, this is hard, but tackle this first and then you can move on and everybody's happy, you know? So yeah, I stayed on Zoloft for like six months. Yeah, and I weaned off of it easily. So that's why I I try to tell people now. Um, I was very embarrassed when I first started uh, Zoloft, but Mm -hmm. when it started to feel so good, I'm like, it sucks that like it has such a stigma that a lot of moms are just dealing with it because of that stupid stigma when you can exactly, yeah. whole life ahead of you that you could be happy it's like yep you know that's exactly what i wanted to comment on that you were saying you know i don't know anyone that takes medication and nobody's if they do that nobody's talking about and stuff like that so that's part of the reason why i've been so vocal on the podcast about yes i take medication and yes i go to therapy and yes i do this because i was exactly in that position you know i was exactly like and it's part of our upbringing too yeah. you know 
So part of my upbringing was we don't talk about these things with other people. We don't talk about them with each other and we don't talk about them with other people. Oh my goodness. Like you never do that. And you don't tell a perfect stranger about it. And you don't have a podcast where you tell everyone about it. (laughs) You know, So, So that was all like my thinking. And so that stigma started getting reduced in my head. But still, I was when I went to therapy and went to the psychiatrist and everything. And even as I was like looking at because I don't know if you remember, you probably don't remember, but at New Year's Eve for 2020, before everything went to hell, um, we all were at Godless House and we were saying like what we wanted to do for that year and blah, blah. And one of my things was go to therapy. And so I was even that like sharing that with everyone was like, oh, my God, I'm gonna say to this group of like my husband's family that I want to go to therapy and they're going to think I'm fucking crazy, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but I was like, but I want to be real about it because that's, that's how I was feeling at the time. I was just like, no one is real. If any of these people are going to therapy, I don't know that. And it's not my place to know that, but you know, I want people to feel like they can talk to me about those things and I can talk to them about those things. So a lot of that, stigma was in my head before and as I've gone through this process in the last year I've kind of just gotten very open and being like so what like what are they gonna like if they think I'm crazy if they think I'm a drug addict if they think this or that like I know myself and it's so funny because my mom said that one time and I thought it was the funniest thing she's like I know myself and I was like what like that's weird (laughs) and then now I'm like I know myself you know and you know, Mario knows me. And, you know, as long as we're okay with the person I am and, you know, see the benefits of the medication and how it's helping me and helping me to be a better mom and be a better wife and just be a functional human being, you know, it's like, why not share that with anyone that needs to hear it? Because I'm not here to praise to tell everyone, hey, you should all be on medication because that's not the case for one like that's not not everyone needs to be on it but there are some people that have these feelings and they just don't even know how to explain that to someone or you know like you said having those irrational fears of something's gonna happen to someone and they think oh that's just me and I'm crazy or something like I had even told my therapist about that one about the car and like something being like because they they always ask you in therapy too and they do like an assessment and they're like um do you have thoughts of killing yourself or killing someone else and it's like no I don't but I have a rational moments where these thoughts pop into my head that something's gonna happen to us and it's like gonna be really bad and they're like that is completely unfortunately normal like you know a lot of people in this position feel that way and that was when I was like well then why the hell don't they say something (laughs) like you know like why I'm over here suffering thinking it's just me and meanwhile you know so many other moms probably feel that way and just people in general so yeah, yeah it's just part of the whole reason I started this podcast is you know having these conversations letting people know that other people feel that way and not feeling so alone. Like I still am like trying to fight back tears because it's just such an important thing to share about. I had like a moment too. Well, for the past few years I've had like this little voice in my head telling me like, I have like a love hate with social media. Yeah. You know, I like social media because I get to see what my friends and family are doing. And I like that involvement in their lives. And I like to keep up with them, you know, just because I'm a naturally social person. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, I feel like 
we get inundated with perfect images all day, every day. And I really think it's, it like affects us more than we know. Um, mm -hmm. So at that time, I was like pretty cognizant of what I'm posting. Like, am I being authentic or am I just posting these perfect pictures of my family? When in reality, I am freaking out every day. I'm crying all the time. Uh, you know, this is not the reality, but I post this picture perfect you know, moment. Um, so I decided at that time, you know, I'm going to be completely authentic and I'm going to post that I am dealing with postpartum depression. Like, screw it. Because honestly, at night, I would go on Instagram and look at the hashtag PPD or PPA and read mm -hmm. story after story because it made me feel better. I'm like, yeah, whoa, I'm giving myself such a hard time. And all these other women are so brave in telling their story and it's making me feel normal. So, you know, I better share that on my end too, because who knows it one person can read this out there in the world and be like, that's how I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. So I did. And so many of my close friends reached out to me and were like, I dealt with this or I'm dealing with this right now. And, you know, just being able to connect on that level just makes each other feel better, you know? So, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I feel like, like you said, we don't know anyone that takes medication or is dealing with it. And then they tell you it's so normal, but you don't know anybody that's dealing with it. So yeah. it can't be normal, right? Because it's not in your own little world. But, you know, hopefully speaking about it, like you said, you know, you have your podcast, um, I try to tell, be open with people about it that ask me about my experience. And, and uh, I just want people to know that it's normal, you know? And it's not something to be ashamed of either. No. It's actually something to be proud of because you got to be happy at the end of the day. Um, I'm not saying everybody has to take medication. Like I said, I weaned off of it six, uh, yeah. after six months. And um, then the pandemic hit and I started getting those feelings again of like irrational anxiety and just overwhelming anxiety. And then I started like really working out a lot and that that was sufficient for me at least. And I was open-minded, like, okay, if I need to go back on Zola and that's going to make me feel happy, then that, that's what I'm going to do. But let's try yeah. this first. And if this works, then I don't need to go to the next. But if it doesn't work, then <laughs> there's no shame in, in doing it, you know? Yep. Okay, well, we'll have to have you back when um, this third baby is born. <laughs> and hopefully it'll just be an easy conversation. I hope like, so. <laughs> we'll see. I doubt it. <laughs> but I also am learning a lot from your podcast and different experiences because every pregnancy is different. You never know what's going to come up the next time. So this is all exactly. really valuable. Let's plug Postpartum Support International. Was that something that you came across as you were, you know, Googling and stuff and that was a helpful tool for you? Yeah, that was definitely a helpful tool for me. And I just feel like it, any place where you can get support for postpartum to have, you know, have the best postpartum experience, to be the best mom, um, you know, look for your resources. I think that's a good resource, but really any resource that's around you that can help you in your situation is going to be a game changer for you and also like 
If your doctor isn't supporting you the way you need to be supported in that time, it's okay to change doctors. You're not tied yeah. to that doctor. You can always, no matter what insurance you have, you can make the change, whether it's now or in a month, you know. Um, but I highly suggest trying to use all your resources you can to get your help. Thank you again for listening to this episode. I hope you made it through. Listen all the way. I know the audio was a little off because of the echo, but hey, pandemic life, what can you do? You know, we can't record in person and control all the factors. So you can still get the important parts of this conversation, whether you listen to it in your car or on headphones, however, it worked best for you. Thank you for listening.